Okay, uh, welcome to the third of the Open Up podcasts. Today I'm at Liverpool Cricket Club and I'm joined by Matty and John. We're going to talk today about alcohol and mental health. Probably something in mental health which is really overlooked, even though there's an incredible amount of, uh, of, of linkage between alcohol abuse and mental illness, as well as just uh, things to consider for general well-being. So we're going to have a bit of a talk about that, something different. And if you have any comments about it afterwards, then just get in touch with us through the usual channels. So, guys, the first thing that I've uh, I thought we could we could start with is um, why is it that um, people why you think that alcohol is alcohol use is so widespread? If I go to you first, John, it's acceptable in society. People don't look down down on people for having a drink these days. It's but you as you brought up as a child, in my humble opinion, this that you you have the first drink to be a man as a kid. Have a drink. Your dad gives you the drink on the side, and then you have it. Or you at your grandparents' house at Christmas. Mine was a snowball at Christmas. Have one of them, and it, it, you had it. You didn't ask why. I think through society, then obviously the alcohol pops came in, and then the all-night drinking came in. I remember being young. The pub shut at three o'clock on a Sunday. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you you struggled to get a drink. We used to end up in in the slums of Manchester, getting <coughs> to whatever time we wanted to. But the reason why it's, for me, the way I see it is because it's acceptable. People accept it, but when you cross the line, which is a very thin line, they point fingers at you. Mm. Mm. So they can't, they either accept it or they point fingers. There's, there's no middle ground on it. And for me, it's quite easy to get into the, the addiction side of it because it's there, it's everywhere. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Matty, you were nodding along with a couple of bits there. What particularly did you agree with then? The part where once you cross a line, it's like everyone else sees a problem yeah. and judges a problem. But it's the same people, I guess, who were pegging you on and out with you in yeah. the first place. But as soon as, as John said, the line's crossed, wherever that line is, because it can be anywhere, can't it, for anyone, then people are quick to judge. And I think... People are quick to point fingers, and I think a lot of it, I agree with what John said about, it's just accepted for me. I don't know why I had a first drink. It's because I was around sport. I think for me, it's the first time I drank was here at a cricket club, mm. because I was playing senior cricket with the adults, yeah. and so I thought, probably, I thought I had to drink like the adults, had mm. to start drinking. But then where is the line? Because it's like we encourage people that they have to start drinking, and they have to go out, and they have to do this. But the minute it's a problem, as John said, it's quick to point fingers and and where is that line? But it is just something that is just accepted. It's just the right it's passage, the norm. It? It's a right yeah. passage to say, you're a man now, have a drink. Mm. You you must do this at a certain age, you must do that. That's why I found alcohol was everybody was doing it. From being very young, from, I remember having my first drink at probably 13, 14. I'm going progressing through my life just constantly drinking. I've done a lot of other substances, but there's always been alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. Alcohol has been the biggest thing in my life that I understand. Yeah, I was 14 when I first had a proper night out, where obviously it's fake ID and, and out we went. And it was a case of, it's like a rite of passage, isn't it? It's like first time you go out, you think now, you look at sort of 15, 16, 17 years, it's the exact same thing. And it's like, yeah, it's almost like you had to, I had to have a, have a drink yeah. to start. To be socially accepted. Yeah, at 16 or whatever, especially being around older people for me. 
it wouldn't have been easy to turn around and say, no. I'm not drinking. Yeah. It was just there and it was done. Yeah, and I think this, the, the aspect <coughs> of, of sport, I mean, cricket in particular, a lot of clubs will, in fact, every club relies to an extent on the revenue over the bar and yeah, the camaraderie yeah. and everything like that, which, which is fine, which is great, but that does, in a lot of cases, breed that kind of, as you've said, John, the, the acceptance of it, which then goes the other way when people might remove themselves from it, that they kind of become a little bit outside of the norm and people think it's a bit odd or weird yeah, yeah. or what have you. And then everyone, whether we like to admit it or not, people like to fit in. We're social creatures. So putting yourself in a situation outside of that is one which, especially when you're growing up and you're forming your own opinions and you're, you're trying to be accepted, particularly yeah, if you're a junior in a senior team, yeah. you don't want another reason for someone to kind of push you to the fringes of the dressing room or, or the club. For me, playing... Senior first team cricket at fourteen. That was my way of fitting in. Yeah. That was my way of being one of the boys. No, no two ways about it. Because you play fair enough, but sitting in the bar, I felt like one of the lads. I mm. felt like I made it. Grown up. Yeah. That aspect of the pat on the back area is. Yeah. He's a big boy now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think people listening would identify with a lot of that. I think most cricketers who are still playing the game at our kind of age, Matt, would be thinking back to when they first started playing. And, uh, and those memories would be really clear. Now, we've, I've introduced this by asking both of you um, why you think alcohol use is so prevalent. And, and, and yeah, I think John's really taken it there where he says it's because it's acceptable. Um, people are probably thinking, well, why am I asking you two about this? What, what's the, the point of if I just drag two blokes off the street <laughs> to ask them what they think about it? Um, as, as, as far as you want to go, why is it that, that you... Are in a position now where you, you don't drink either of you for me I'm an alcoholic of a notorious type I'm proud to be an alcoholic and that's the gospel honest truth where I, I, I've entered into a programme of recovery which over the last four years three months and 28 days is I've done the best I've done a programme of recovery to the best of my ability I have a major major problem with alcohol and, and other substances and today I don't because I'm, I follow a program of recovery. It's the nail on the head again, really. And yeah, I'm an alcoholic. And I wrote in the article for opening up that I used to hear in, in meetings, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. John's just said it then, proud to be an alcoholic. And I thought that was crazy, absolutely crazy. <laughs> like, how can I be grateful to be sat here with my head so far up my arse? That... But now I am 100% grateful to be an alcoholic because I have an answer to so many of the problems that were going wrong in my life and not just around drink and around drugs for myself as well, not just around that, around the way I behaved in other aspects as well. It all came down to, to that sort of thing and I am very, very grateful to say, sit here and say I'm an alcoholic because the alternative for me would be drinking every day mm. and causing and absolute death. havoc and yeah. Right. Death is the, the most realistic thing for an alcoholic to look forward to. The suicide rate for gambling, drink, drugs is unreal because of the illness we suffer because alcohol is only a symptom what's wrong with us what's wrong with John I didn't. I was maladjusted so I didn't understand what life is about and the first drink let me let me enter a world that I kind of fitted into the other world when I was young I was bullied I was, and it was kind of everything else fitted but once I had that first drink I became the person that I always wanted to be wow I'm, I'm, I'm an amazing guy now mm -hmm. and it was, it was just a mask after mask and then the alcohol allowed me to put more masks on and put more masks on and pretend that my life up to being 40 was a pretense. Everything I did was all wrong. 
I thought what I was doing was right, was I've come to realise it was all wrong because I lived up to what other people thought of me and what other people wanted me to be. And I never knew who I actually was until I got sober. And I actually, I, I became that unnormal person and stepped away from everybody. And now I see drinkers and people have a drink. I don't go anywhere near them for me. This is unusual for me to come into a, a lounge mm. like this because I don't do it. Because my recovery comes before anything in this world. Because it's given me so much back mm. to be in recovery because today I have a life. It's a bit of a crazy life, but it's a life. Yeah. I never at any thought, any point thought, well, I did think I had a problem because I used to Google it and then carry on. And that's how crazy it is. And mm. normal people, normal drinkers, normal whatever, they don't have to do that. They don't have to sit and question it. But I did, but still carried on. But at no point did I think it was a matter of life and death. And looking back now, hand on heart, I was suicidal. And now... I don't drink, I follow a programme and I'm happy and I'm comfortable mm. in my life and I'm comfortable in my own skin and I don't have to take a drink or a substance to feel comfortable because that for me is what it was as John said it as well it was have a drink and feel at ease and be able to speak to people and socialise and stuff but I don't know where the line got crossed when it had the, the complete opposite effect and it was completely antisocial, and it kept me away from things and kept me away and I, I don't think I'll ever know where that line was and when it was crossed but I don't need to know that mm. but for something that is supposed to be social isn't it really yeah. once that line's crossed it's probably the most antisocial you know one time that was the life and soul of the party <coughs> what to say to the point where I was actually at home planning how to do myself a mischief because my wife and kids would be better off without me because that's how I, I, I viewed my life then because I didn't know how to stop. I just kept putting the substances in my body. And I'd wake up the next day and I'd promise everybody, please, I won't do it again, I won't do it, I promise you I won't do it again. By nine o'clock that morning, I was at the drug dealer's house. Then by 12 o'clock, I was in the pub. And that's how my life panned out for many years. And it just carried on and carried on and carried on. till the day where I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, for me, I believe I had a spiritual awakening that day, one of, one of many. And I had to be pushed into a corner though. I had to be like a rat in a corner, mm. trapped. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting listening to two perspectives on this. Where I think what a lot, what again, I, I bring my own experience into this. What a lot of people who drink or drink to excess will will look to do is to try and make excuses and kind of qualify it and say, well, actually that was only that at one occasion or I was like that because it was this this thing and it was the other and I wasn't the worst or anything <laughs> like that and yeah. that can go that, that's fine and, and a lot of the time people might be in, in denial and there's so much I find with this so much judgement though because people will make comments about people who don't drink and will will view them perhaps in a way of saying well it's their fault for not being able to have control or whatever yeah, thing they're going to say yeah when we look in this project at, at mental well-being and mental health in general and that kind of judgment isn't one that you would apply to someone who has uh, another kind of illness we wouldn't say oh well well p- people in society might still but in this project our supporters and people who are listening to this wouldn't say if someone's suffering with depression or anxiety they've chosen that and they're weak yeah. but alcoholism is something which is not a, surely not a choice either I don't think either of you two would have said at one stage I tell you what I'd quite like to be an alcoholic <laughs> I'd like those years of my life to be 
turmoil and then recover. So it wasn't in the game plan being an alcoholic in the beginning. Yeah. When you cross the line of alcohol, when it becomes the illness of alcoholism, you become the person you, that you don't want to be. And the depression, the anxiety, everything comes with that for me. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being depressed, having all the money in the world, having all the flash cars, having all the Rolexes, sitting there thinking, what, what else can I have? What else can I have? I know what will fix this. Let's go and get the Grey Goose out. Because, I, 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 again, I, everything had to be the best. I had to really, really go, I want that, I want that, I want that. Nothing could fill that hole that I had. And that hole was alcoholism. Because I had a lot of it, but it was all, I self, me all the time. All about John, all about John, and the booze just filled it, filled it, filled it. Today, I have other ways of filling that. It, the, the isms. Mm. I understand that alcohol is a major, major killer. It's not just it's a killer illness. It kills more people than AIDS, cancer, than anything. But there is a solution to alcoholism if you want it. The problem with I see with alcoholism is you've got to be on your knees before you want it. Mm -hmm. You've got to be begging for mercy. And when the, this is only from my experience that when I was on my knees and I asked for help and I was willing to have help, the help came to me. And for me, I did not dismiss the help. I never, I, from day one, I've done as I'm told. I've never messed about with this illness. If you tell me to go to this place at seven o'clock, I'm there at seven o'clock. I'm not a minute late, I'm not a minute early. I believe structure in my life today, which I never had before, has come because of this. So today I'm quite okay with the way I live because of the way I've been taught in the last four, three, four years. I think I've had a slightly different, John knows, slightly different experience in that I, I knew how not to do it as yeah. well. I, I was sober, clean and sober for five months and then relapsed um, because, as John said a few times there, it's a killer illness, but I didn't think it was. Yeah. I didn't think it would kill me, and it hand on heart nearly did. Um, so I did go back out and drink, you know, John's talking about a solution, which I'm sure we'll go on to. I kind of, I wouldn't say it turned me back on that, but I just thought, perhaps when that thought that I perhaps wasn't as bad as other people yeah. came in and it goes back to something you said there Mark about making excuses and that's the goal that was because I couldn't make any excuse in the world to go out and have a drink you know every night of the week there's football on so there's a start and you can go have a pub and watch the football and that's that and that's acceptable isn't it because that's what people do anyway but after it's sort of five months of, of being clean and sober I thought well I'm alright I've got it cracked I, I to be honest, I completely forgot how bad it was. And John said, you've got to be on your knees, you've got to want it. You can't do it for anybody else because parents had, had, had tried and, and thought that, but until I'd completely had enough, which thankfully came before doing myself in and doing something like that because it was close at one stage, it really was. Because I'd wake up every morning and think about it, and that'd be the first thought in my mind, and I'd wake up with dread anxiety, fear, I was scared of everything, mm -hmm. I was scared, I was actually terrified of my phone ringing as to who it was mm -hmm. and what they were going to ring about, you know, it could have been anything, my mum asking how it was, could have been anything, but I was terrified of it. Yeah, I get that totally, the fear that I used to, the fear and the dread in the morning of what the, the day just entailed, of just waking up sometimes, I was that afraid of getting out of bed, I was shiver, shivering and shaking, five years earlier I was training, training in martial arts. And I was a very good, I was good at what I did. 
And I've gone from a, a, a bit of a tough guy to a quivering wreck in the morning because of, I couldn't, I couldn't handle the thought of going out there. Then I had to deal with customers and I had to put my face on, do that mask you yeah. put on to show out the world, world everything's okay. And deep down inside, I was crying like a baby. But I couldn't tell anybody I was crying like a baby. Because if I told one of the people I hung around with, oh, shut up yourself, get, have another drink, mm-hmm. have another that, line. That's what it is, isn't it? It's once you're in that cycle and that hole, then for me, the only thing that could pull me out even slightly on that day was be to have a drink or, or to yeah. have a substance or something. Something to completely alter the way I was thinking. Alter or completely numb it. Probably more numb it than alter it, to be honest, because by the end of it, it wasn't like I was having a drink and getting a buzz from it. I was having a drink to, to numb any feeling. Like waking up, like I said, with dread and fit. guilt was probably a massive yeah. one as well. In fact, guilt probably was the big one, but the only way to numb that feeling was to do it again. And that's when you completely... I drank on anything, mate. If, 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 if the sun was shining, I drank on it. If it was raining, I drank on it. The guilt, the shame, the remorse, I drank on that. I drank on any excuse I could have, but today I don't have an excuse why I can drink. Because I've had the psychic change. Yeah, it's... This for me, I find uh, not difficult to talk about or listen to, but I, I wouldn't, I, I can't pretend to have had the same interactions as, as, as you two have with it. But I know from my experience of, of having mental illness that whenever alcohol has been present around that time, it's done nothing but make it worse. And, and in some cases, not just worse, but almost being the difference between being alive and being yeah, yeah. dead. And I, 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 I spoke to Matty quite a lot about this and, and I wrote down uh, a little while ago um, just an exercise. I was thinking, well, I, I was completely fed up with, with drinking and what it can do and, and the financial cost, the health cost, everything. Yeah. So I made a list. I thought, right, I'm going to put down the five things that I'm most embarrassed about that I've done when I've, when I've drank. And then that turned into ten. 15 and I got a top 50 and I was there thinking oh that missed out come on let's extend this and I could still be writing it now yeah. um, and there'd be people listening who I went to school with I went to sixth form we went to uni with who would probably be thinking word association they put my name and go off oh, yeah loves a drink etc and there was a time when that, <coughs> that, that was that was true and, and I do drink alcohol now and I can't I do think a lot about whether I should cut it out completely and that's sort of a process that I, that I, that I go through but you both have mentioned something which I've had a, the, the experience of where that element of trying to kind of fit in and using alcohol to do that. Because I remember, say, university or, or maybe just after, maybe just before as well, I had really, really poor self-esteem. So I thought very little of myself. And I've masked that by being a joker, yeah. trying to be portray myself to be confident. But also... What I realised from a relatively young age was the best way for me to be able to entertain people or to be accepted would be if I was drunk, inhibitions are down, yeah, do something yeah. silly, people go, oh, he's funny, he's a legend, etc. And that kind of sustained for so many years where I was thinking, if I take away that alcohol, am I going to be funny, entertaining a friend yeah, and yeah. so on? Uh, yeah, exactly. And for so many years, it would be on whichever level, whether it was a high level, important at some point, or, or it was less of a factor, that persisted with me for, for a long time. And, and I think the last time I was really unwell, um, with depression and anxiety, that's when I really properly reviewed alcohol and said, this isn't helping me at all. And trying to say to people, 
again in a cricket environment, oh I don't I don't I don't want to drink or I'm trying to drink less or whatever, people don't mean it, but sometimes the look on their face <laughs> or the the reaction yeah. will be but that doesn't compute with them. It's nice and easy to judge people by uh, one or two words or, or one or two things. Oh, there's, you know, Andy, he's a hard bloke. There's Chris, he's this or whatever. Yeah. So it's easy maybe just to throw a word to associate with someone. But all these things that you've both been saying about trying to work out who you are, it does seem a lot, a lot easier to do without something, whether it's alcohol or, or other drugs, which then change who you are. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I, think I, I would imagine, and I've been told that I was always seen as outgoing, confident. I've definitely been called arrogant before, <laughs> but that was just all a mask because yeah, inside yeah. I was absolutely shitting myself every time I went out, every time I was out in that thing. And I think anybody who kind of just knew me, you know, wasn't that close to me, knew me from being out and about and stuff, would have probably seen someone outgoing, someone confident. But over the however many years I was going out from when I was. Well, you know, regularly from when I was 15, 16 to when I was 26, so it's 10 years, those people would never have seen me without a drinking hand. No. They would never, they would just wouldn't have. And they would think, because I was out, as you said, I was playing the joker, I was doing that, and I was having, it looked like I was having a laugh. But in reality, I had just this crippling anxiety inside me all the time. The many faces you put on us, and then the many faces in John, I could be whatever you wanted me to be that night. If you wanted me to be the mastermind, I was the mastermind. I could play whatever you wanted me to play. And alcohol fueled that, as you said, the inhibitions were dropped. Mm. So if you wanted me to go front someone up, I'd do it without thinking about it. Because it was taking away everything that I thought was me. And I got lost in the alcoholism of who I was, me, the me. I didn't know who I was because I started drinking at such a young age. I never actually maturely grew up. And recently I've started to grow up and started to... The big thing for me was my, when I got sober was my lap, the way I spoke. I could not, for years, stop swearing. Until about six months ago I started quitting my daily programme. Because I've had to grow up over the last four years more than I've ever grown up in my life. But that's because I've separated myself from the alcohol and found out who I really am. I'm not the person I used to be. I never was that person. I just got confused along the way. Whatever my, my simple view of life is, we're all born innocent, and it's what path we take. Okay, we, a lot of the paths are not true. But the, you start on a path, and people kind of push you to these paths. You know, if you're bored, you'll hang around with the bigger guys who drink more, or if, if they drink, if they if they look at your drinking and you're you're drinking more than them, you'll go to someone who drinks like you. <laughs> you'll always find somebody who drinks like you. Then when you out drank that crowd or out drunk that crowd you'll find another crowd and eventually I was drinking with bums on the street sometimes because it made me look quite normal to just to down a bottle of Jack Daniels in front of people this was the normal way of life because normal people don't go to a pub and order a bottle of wine and sit there drinking it out of a bottle mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's it yeah so just uh, this before these podcasts I always write down a list of things and think oh you know we'll try and discuss around these topics and, and we've done that really naturally I think the the final bit that I'd want to kind of steer steer us towards is things I've been mentioned by both of you about um, programs that you follow and help that you've that you've you've sought and has been given to you. What what is it that you would say makes the difference between you being able and being happy to be clean and sober and 
lapsing and going back into that life that you don't want to what makes what's the thing that makes the biggest I know, difference I know what makes the difference because I tried it without going to AA well that's what I, I went to AA and I went to CA Cocaine Anonymous um, and I, I do now and I, I kind of stopped going I never got a sponsor I never went through the 12 steps well, like I kind of a half-hearted started, but I never went through the twelve steps. This time, I'm I'm seven months and eighteen days clean and sober, and um, I've done the twelve steps. I've got a sponsor, and it's just staying connected to other alcoholics, because everything John said today, I'm nodding at mm-hmm. it because I feel the exact same. You know, I go to I've been away a couple of times while I've been sober, and I can go to an AA meeting, a CA, even an NA, anywhere in the world. Like I was out in India in March and I went to an NA meeting out there and I went to an AA meeting as well. And in a room in Bangalore in India there was 15 fellas saying the exact same thing that probably we're saying right now. And by turn, sort of turning away from that and not sticking with it, I completely forgot how bad things could get very quickly because I wasn't in contact with other people the same as me. So my head will play tricks on me. Alcoholism is the only fatal illness that will tell you you haven't got yeah. it. So, you know, I've just been on holiday for two weeks and I've stayed in contact. I've stayed in contact with John, I've stayed in contact with other people. Uh, I taught me big book, me AA big book. But without going to meeting in those two weeks, I don't feel right. Yeah. I didn't feel right. I, I wasn't close to having a drink. It, never, it doesn't cross my mind because that obsession has gone. But just something wasn't sitting right with me. And then as soon as I came back yesterday, went to a meeting and I realised that's what it was. <laughs> just sitting in a room full of other alcoholics talking... Yeah. And not even that they don't sit there and talk about drink all the time, just talking about life. And that was the difference. And only in only two weeks, my mindset had started to change. And as I say, luckily, well, not luckily because I put the work in, it hadn't changed in terms of wanting to go and have a drink. But that's because I've put some recovery behind me now and I'm still, I was still connected. Whereas first time when it lapsed, I wasn't in good recovery. I did it, shot, you know, I showed, I turned up and I was. I wasn't completely honest, and that's the big thing. You've just got to get honest with yourself and with other people. Because I spent 13, 14 years probably of my life lying to myself. That was the thing. I was in denial for a long time about what I was doing. I'd lie to other people. Like John said about having a different group of mates, I could go out with one group one night, and I hadn't known the other group that I'd been out. So I'd go out with them the next night and not make it look like I was going out and drinking all the time because I'd go out with different people. Yeah, for me, the program that I talk about, I never, I've never relapsed. That's only got by God's grace. I got sober. I heard something I needed to hear, and to this day, I don't know what it was. I think it was a character assassination of a guy in, in, in a great place called the Priory in Old Trinder. A guy told me what I was, and they had the, the first time I had the courage to, somebody to tell me what I was, and I sat on my hands for the first time and listened to somebody about me, and then I heard of a solution. Which they said, if you do this on a daily basis, you'll have a daily reprieve. And for the first time in my life, I've seen someone that I believed. I was a dirty, horrible liar that couldn't speak the truth, didn't know the truth. And everything came out of my life was either ego or lies. But even a liar knows the truth. And when I seen the truth, I knew it was the truth. And I asked this guy, he was a therapist there, he said, what do you do? And he said, for you, Jack, you've got to change everything. I said, everything? He goes, yeah. So I took him by his words. I left the private, I changed my cars, I changed the people I'm around with, I changed everything in my life, apart from the house and my wife and kids. I very rarely, I love my mum and dad and my family dearly, but I can't see them as much because they drink. 
I've had to make a lot of hard decisions in my life that put me first. People thought I was very selfish and still people think I'm selfish. But in my self-care, for me, my wife and kids have a life. This is a woman that divorced me, that told me I was the most hated man in her life to become the most loved man in her life. This program of recovery I follow, I follow it to the letter. I don't divert, I deviate off to try something else or do something else. I get up and I, I, I've read the big book over and over again. I take a lot, I have sponsees now. I take people through the work. And I do it by the letter of the law. Because everything I, I, I'm very good at drinking and drugging me. I absolutely mastered it. So all I've done now is just change what I used to do drinking and drugging into a, into a normal life. So I get up at 5.30 in the morning. I, I do four and a half miles religiously with my dogs every day. I do the opposite to what I used to do in life. I have a life today. It's nuts, but it's a life. It's nice just smelling the fresh air, connecting with people at five in the morning. You don't, I start texting people, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's something I'd never do. Because I, I play God with everybody, everybody's lives, thinking, I have this big ego, I'm the guy, I'm the man, you've got to do this. Now I have to humble myself and say, good morning to people, how are you? Before People's thoughts before my own thoughts was a very difficult thing for me, but I do it on a daily basis now. And once you start to do it, it becomes quite easy. Yeah, I'm glad you said that comes quite easy because one of the things before I relapsed, I just sounded like hard work. Like what you're, you're saying, it sounds like hard work, but it's not. I had a conversation yesterday with a very, very, very close friend of mine who's going through a difficult time of gambling. And I told him what I did. And he was like, sounds like a lot. I said, seven months and 20 days, whatever it is, down the line. Don't think about doing it. Yeah. It's, it's actually just become what I do. And if you think it sounds hard, getting up, hungover, trying to go to work, mm-hmm. trying to communicate with people. <coughs> when you just, your head's all over the place, you have another drink, that's hard work, but waking up, speaking to another alcoholic every day, every night I'll write down sort of an inventory of you know what I've done that day. Yeah. It takes me probably 15 minutes. Yeah. Speaking to another alcoholic can take five minutes. That's 20 minutes out of your day. If I go to a meeting, it's an hour and a half. I, I was everything whether I was drinking or not everything in my day was centred around drinking and drugs everything because it of the way it drove me to, to depression to anxiety my whole life was a struggle and to do what maximum two hours a day and to be free it's a complete freedom from I'm not tied to anything you know just in the, the opportunities I've had in the last eight months completely away from, from AA and stuff just work and, and things like that it's just been incredible like I would never have imagined it and all I do is get up and get my head down and I just try to do the right thing and that's it and it, it, it's not it's just second nature see I like all that for me drinking and drugging was hard because every single thought of every single day was going into what I'm consuming at what time and the times were getting earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier today I don't have to have that worry for, I have, for me I've had a massive ego deflation. I had a failing business which I thought was really good, but it wasn't that good. My wife sat, got, took over it and she actually runs the business better than I ever could. So and to smash our egos, we got rid of everything. We started again with nothing. I've been very, very fortunate me in recovery that people put me put in my path. My sponsor, I'd known him for 22 years before. before. I knew he never drank, but didn't know why. And this is the things that are in my life now that I love. I love that I don't have to worry about my business because my wife could deal with it. Even though I try to put my nose in sometimes, I get the really gets pushed right out and mm. leave it out. But that's 
the magic of life now. I, I'm not that important anymore. I used to think we could be our end or left today, I'm not that important. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just being happy. And I've never ever been as happy as I am today than I've been, been in all the 40 years. And that's with everything in my life. Today has been, today's been a good day. Well, I think that's a, a brilliant place, place to bring it to a conclusion. Um, people who switch this on would be thinking that a podcast about alcoholism, about drinking and mental health would be something that would leave you deflated, it might leave you a little bit paranoid, a bit nervous. But I can honestly say, sitting here listening to the pair of you has actually given me a boost and made me think that actually... Um, such great positive attitudes and this is all what we're about with this project as well that Matty's mentioning there how important it is to connect with people and John's saying in the mornings connecting with people and talking to people and, and sharing with that that's perfect for everyone in any walk of life it could be that there's a problem you need to communicate it's just good for you anyway to speak so when we have the tagline the project it's not weak to speak. That's originally, of course, talking about people seeking help when they're feeling that they're, they're lowest and then they're most distressed. But it's something which is so important just generally. So that was brilliant to have both of you along. We're going to do another podcast in the next week or two. Please do leave comments uh, wherever you find this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, online. Um, but for now, we'll say goodbye and we'll catch you again soon. Cheers. Wicked. <laughs> I don't know that. <coughs>